0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The liturgy and the lectionary are poetic. And we see this today. Today we see that uh, the liturgy does something that the great poet John Donne did. And this is called metaphysical conceit. Now what does that mean? Well, metaphysical conceit is where you take two opposing and often contradictory images, and then you juxtapose them in one person. And this is what we see today with the liturgy. The last few weeks we have been focusing on the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see uh, in the last few weeks how he, like a lamb, is led before its shearers, is silent, and so he opened not his mouth. And that just like the Passover lamb from the Passion of St. John's Gospel, not a bone of his body was broken. And today we get the other image. We get the other image of Christ as our Good Shepherd. That is what we are going to focus on today. Today we are going to focus on how Jesus is the Good Shepherd, who promised to shepherd us, who shepherded us by laying down his life, and who shepherds us still through pastors. Now that word shepherd is very loaded language in the Bible. What does Jesus mean when he says that he is the shepherd? Well, let's go back into the Old Testament. The judges who ruled Israel after Moses and Joshua are described by the Bible as shepherding God's people. David, Jesus' ancestor according to the flesh, was not only a shepherd when he was young, but he also speaks of his own reign as a shepherd. The elders said to David, in times pe- when they finally submitted to him after seven years of civil war, they say to him, in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. And later on in the Old Testament, when King Ahab is defeated and dies in battle, it is described in shepherd terms by the prophet Micaiah. And he says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. The Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Now this actually makes all of Ezekiel 34 clearer to us, and I recommend that you go back and read the entire chapter, because in this chapter, the Lord begins by condemning the shepherds, and usually when we think of shepherds, when we hear that word, we think of pastors, because pastor means shepherd. But here in this context, the Lord especially condemns Israel's civil governors. These men are responsible for the welfare, the interests, and the good of their subjects. And yet they are hirelings, to use Jesus' term. They feed only themselves. Rather than serving their people, these rulers only serve themselves. They get fat while their subjected sheep get lean and bony. They use their political power to knock the powerless and the defenseless out of the way. They take the lion's share of resources And then they muddy the water, making it undrinkable and unusable for others. And God condemns them. God condemns such sinful behavior by saying that He is against them, that He is against such evil and irresponsible shepherds. Now, of course, we can think of many applications here, not only in the Bible, but also in our own day. We call our government officials public servants because they are to serve the public, the common weal, But as we know from experience, these civil governors only often do what helps them and guarantees their re-election. A competent and a pious ruler is a rare bird. But we should also make an application to our own households. We should make an application to all fathers and mothers. For as we learned in the explanation of the fourth commandment, All authority flows and is propagated from the authority of parents. For where a father is unable alone to educate his rebellious and irritable child, he employs a schoolmaster to instruct him. If he be too weak, he enlists the aid of his friends and neighbors. If he departs this life, he delegates and confers his authority and government upon others who are appointed for this purpose." God has placed fathers and mothers in their office as shepherds so that they might serve their children, not themselves. They are first and foremost to raise their children in the knowledge and in the fear of the Lord. And that's why I'm here. As your pastor and headmaster, I have a foot both in the domestic estate and in the churchly estate. As the headmaster, I simultaneously act in your stead as a parent and as a preacher of the Word. And the teachers at Trinity act in your stead too. They are in your place when they teach comfort, encourage, and yes, even discipline your children. The teachers and I do this work, not for our own benefit, but for you and for your children's benefit. And I know that it's a sacrifice to send your children to the school. But remember that we are on earth to serve These children who have been given into our charge, not ourselves. Let us not be like the irresponsible shepherds of Ezekiel's day, who acted only out of self-interest and for their own convenience and their own comfort. Because we know that this school is best for our children. Because the word of God is the foundation and the lifeblood of the school. And that's why you called me. You believe it. And so, send your children here. Encourage your friends and your family to send their children here. And if you have children here, send them to our new high school. Because if being a Christian is the most important thing in the world, and it is, then the choice between different schools becomes much, much clearer. Now the shepherds of Ezekiel's day were terrible. They didn't do what God sent them to do. They didn't serve God's flock, Israel. And so God makes a promise. He says, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Here, the triune God promises to do three things. He promises to search and seek for his lost sheep. He promises to feed, heal, and strengthen the sick and the spiritually crushed. And he also promises to destroy and judge the spiritually fat. But how is God going to do this? How is God going to be the shepherd? Well, he makes us another promise later on in the same chapter. He says this, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Well, who is this one shepherd? Who is this David that God is talking about? Because it can't be the David that we're all thinking of because King David died 383 years before Ezekiel even uttered this prophecy. Well, here the name David is used because David is a shadow or a type of Christ. David was the ancestor of Christ according to the flesh. But even more than that, David was a man after God's own heart, who was judged not by the outward appearance, but by the heart. And who knows God's heart better than God himself? Who knows the Father's love for us better than the Son who remains in the bosom of his Father? This greater and better David is the only one who is fit to be ruler and protector of God's flock. And Jesus fulfills his ancient promise 500-odd years later. In our gospel today, we see that Jesus is the good shepherd who shepherds us by laying down his life. Now this is interesting to think about because in catechism class, you learn that Christ has a threefold office. He is the prophet, he is the priest, and he is the king. So where does shepherd fit within this threefold office? Well, because Jesus is our good shepherd, it shows that he is our king. A shepherd is a king. He not only feeds his sheep, but he also defends them against the fat and proud sheep and against the wolves. And we learned all of this from the Old Testament reading. But how? How does Jesus shepherd? What makes him the good shepherd rather than simply a hireling? Well, he shepherds by laying down his life. The hireling does not lay down his life for the sheep. The hireling flees when the wolf comes. The hireling cares about the sheep in his own way, but the problem is is that they're not really his. And so the hireling really doesn't care about the sheep themselves. He really only cares about his wages, his due. That's why he's hired. And you can't spend your wages if you're dead. So why die? Better to run and save your skin. But not Jesus. Jesus didn't run. Jesus didn't care about his own health, their wealth, their reputation, or even about his own soul. That's the thing. Jesus laid down his soul to save his sheep. And when Jesus lays down his life, when he shepherds us in this way, he is in his office as priest. He's in his office as the perfect once-for-all sacrifice. Here our Almighty King does what none of us could do. Because we can't lay down our lives. Our lives are not ours to lay down. Our lives belong to God. God alone is the master of life and death. Abortion is just as terrible as euthanasia. Suicide is just as much of a sin as murder. Because we are not God. We cannot choose life or death. We cannot save our own lives. We learn about this in Psalm 139 where it says, and in your book, they are all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Every single one of our days is already recorded in God's book. But Jesus is different. Jesus is God. And so Jesus has the authority to lay down his life, and he has the authority to take his life back up again. And as we learned in the last few weeks, Jesus truly did die. His soul was separated from his body. And we know this because each evangelist evangelist says these words, He gave up the ghost. But Christ did not die until it was time. Remember the passion readings that we heard just a few weeks ago. John records these words, And this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said I thirst. Now a vessel of full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It is finished." And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And Pilate's reaction to Jesus' death is also very telling. Mark's Gospel says Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus actively fulfilled the scriptures and then suffered until our salvation was accomplished. Then he laid down his life. Had Jesus needed to remain on the cross for a hundred thousand years in order to accomplish our salvation, he would still be there today living. That's the great and beautiful mystery of our Lord. He endured the suffering, the shame, and the pain, and the forsakenness of his Father in heaven in order to save us. And he could have died, or he could have remained alive. It really was his choice. He had the authority to do so. And yet, out of love for his Father, and out of love for us, Christ laid down his soul at the right time, so that we, his sheep, might be saved. Jesus is our good shepherd. He is our good shepherd who shepherded us by laying down his life for us. But even today, Jesus is still our good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who shepherds us still through pastors. Today we commemorate St. Philip and St. James the Apostles. And I encourage you to go read those readings, especially John chapter 14. Because in John chapter 14, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus answered, If I have been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip... Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. No one has seen the fa- God the Father at any time except the Son, and to whom the Son reveals him. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. And that's the point of pastors, because pastors are shepherds. We are not like the good shepherd. We cannot propitiate God's wrath. We cannot lay down our lives for you. But we are shepherds nonetheless. Because we bring you Jesus. We bring you the good shepherd. We bring you Jesus through the word and through the sacraments. And by seeing and by hearing your pastor, you see Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you see the Father. And if you see the Father, then you are a priest and a king and an heir of heaven with Christ. This is why Jesus' words in Luke 10.16 are so important for us to learn. Where Jesus says to his disciples, The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. We don't hear the pastor because we like him. We don't hear the pastor because we always agree with what he says. We don't hear the pastor because he's one of us, or maybe he's an exotic Norwegian. No. We hear the pastor because he speaks on behalf of Christ. He speaks Christ's word. And when we hear Christ's word, we hear Christ. The converse is also true. If we will not hear our pastor, then we will not hear Christ. And if we will not hear Christ, we will not hear the Father. If a pastor speaks God's word, then you are duty-bound to acknowledge it as God's word. That is, as if God himself were speaking to you directly from heaven. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. You cannot be a Christian if you do not go to the places where God's word is preached and to the persons who are authorized to preach it. If you claim that you don't have to go to church, if you can stay home and read your Bible, then I say to you, read Luke 10:16, because Christ, there right there in the Bible, tells you that He wants to shepherd you through pastors. If you do not receive your pastor, then you do not receive Christ. But if you do receive your pastor, and you do hear him, then be assured and comforted that you do hear Christ. You do hear the voice of your good shepherd. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. They will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Christ promised to shepherd us. He has shepherded us by laying down his life. And he shepherds us still through pastors. And this last sentence that we hear today is true. Other sheep will be brought into the fold of the Holy Christian and Apostolic Church because babies will be baptized. Confirmants will hear Christ's voice and they will confess it. Missionaries go off to far lands to preach Christ. And you're here right now. You hear Christ's words as as obedient sheep, And then you speak Christ's word to your children and to your friends. And Christ shepherds us here right now. Here he mends the broken heart. Here he judges the fat and the complacent. Here he strengthens the sick in spirit. And here he feeds those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he delivers them to the pasture of his holy word. And while we do not see this unity yet... We believe it. We believe that there is one shepherd. And we believe that there is one flock. And that flock is the Holy Christian and Apostolic Church. And so, may our good shepherd shepherd us still and bring to light the unity of his flock on the last day. Amen. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.